Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. This episode is with a good friend of mine, Heather Knight, and I am so excited to share this with you. It is a super, super important topic and something that is really close to both Heather and my hearts, and that's the topic of domestic violence. Heather is currently serving as the founder and chair of Surviving to Thriving, an Atlanta-based nonprofit that provides a long-term sustainability program for victims of domestic violence. The passion for domestic violence awareness and prevention started from a personal situation in Heather's teen years and then grew into careers in law enforcement. She recently left the police department after founding Surviving to Thriving in order to dedicate more time to her podcast, also called Surviving to Thriving, and to teach the headlining program of RAD Women's Self-Defense. Heather received a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice at the University of North Georgia Military Academy. She is currently enrolled at American Military University, where she is completing a master's program in intelligence studies with a focus on homeland security. Heather has such a fantastic story and she has such a passion for helping people get out of the situations that they're in with domestic violence. You know, I see this all the time and we talk about this in this episode, that some of the hardest things to do is walk away because of the uncertainty of how you're going to survive without that person. And Heather really does such an amazing job of talking about the emotions that go behind staying in an abusive relationship from being unwilling to admit that you're in one to then knowing that you're in one and being afraid to leave. And this, this episode is really intense and amazing. And I love Heather's vulnerability as we talk about all of these topics related to domestic violence, what she's doing now. And then of course, her ideas of success and fulfillment and comfort zones and all of the amazing stuff that we get into every episode on this podcast. Really quickly, before we jump into this, this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Define Your Life Mastermind. If you or someone you know has ever said the words, I'll be happy when, I just need to keep, insert whatever you think is going to make you happy here, losing weight, working hard, building my career, and then I'll be happy. If you've ever felt like you've done everything you're supposed to do, yet life isn't turning out the way you expected. If it seems like something is missing despite others telling you how successful you are, then the Define Your Life Mastermind is for you. The most powerful question anybody ever asked me is what does success mean to you? And as I've explored this topic on my podcast and with my coaching clients, it's become clear that most people don't ask and answer this question enough. The Define Your Life Mastermind is designed to help you get clear on what success means, what a well-rounded life looks like, and what your best life feels like. Once you know that, you can build a business that fits into the life that you want and surround yourself with people who give you the courage to step out of your comfort zone to live this vision. If this sounds like something that you or someone you know needs in their life, head over to defineyourlife.morethancorporate.com for more information and to schedule a call to see if we're a good fit to work together. I'm super excited to connect with you and help you reach your goals. And without further ado, let's go ahead and hear from Heather Knight. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course, I am happy to be here. I am so happy that you're here. And I'm a little embarrassed that it took me so long to get you on. Like, um, we have been planning this since like August or September, well, November when we met. Um, I know. I can't just believe a you got Zach on before me. I know. You know what? He's just <laughs> a little bit more annoying than you are. And so uh, I he gave is, in. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, that's what you get, Zach, for calling me a dirty immigration attorney on my podcast. So there we go. It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, anyways, thank you so much for coming on. So you guys have some amazing stuff going on. You have some amazing stuff going on and you have this unbelievable story that has led you to where you are now so that you can do all the great things we're going to talk about. So let's rewind and talk about what it was like for you growing up and what you thought your life was going to look like. So growing up, I, you know, lived in a big city. I 
always, you know, I walked to school because it was close enough, but there were still like 800 people in my school, you know, like it was still a big city. And uh, growing up, it was very outdoorsy all the time. I don't remember ever playing inside or being inside really. Um, so it wasn't, you know, like I had all of these trials and tribulations that brought me to where I am today. Like I had a really, really good childhood growing up. My parents divorced when I was 10. Um, I took the brunt of it just because I had an older sister and a younger sister. So I was kind of, you know, that middle child that felt like she just kind of had to take control of the situation. So I, I did grow up a little bit quicker than most people would, but I still, you know, love both my parents and had a, a really good childhood. Um, in high school, I was in a, an abuse. I don't want to call it an abusive relationship, but I, I have to because of the way that it was. But I just want everybody to know that the man that I was in that relationship with is a good person. He is a decent person. We were just both young and dumb and didn't understand how a relationship works, how you have to communicate, how some things are not okay to do and these different things. So both matured and we're both really good people, but for each other, we were not good. We were just young and didn't have all of those life experiences. And then I was also sexually assaulted in high school as well. So that kind of drove my path where I am today. But during all of that, I never once thought that I would be on this path. I didn't want to be a police officer. I didn't want to do all these things. You know, I was really into baking. I was a theater kid. I danced. I did gymnastics. I sang. Like, I was very opposite from where I am today. And I was at theater talking with one of the theater moms because I was 18 and a lot of the younger kids, there was like a group of us that would hang out with all the adults because we didn't have anything better to do. So I was talking with one of the adult parents there and she was like, hey, I know this police officer if you want to do a ride along because I had talked about, you know, just taking criminal justice classes. I loved Law and Order SVU. I loved Criminal Minds, all those FBI shows what so we all like, thought the law was going to be like when we got involved on one side or the other, and then we were proven horribly wrong. Right. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's nowhere near the same. Um, but so I agreed to the ride along and I was like, sure, like it sounds fun. So went to a uh, police department, got in that cop car and, you know, life changed right there. Um, it was uh, a Halloween pub crawl night. So it was just an amazing (laughs) ride along day, (laughs) right? It was just insanity the whole night. And I was like, I want to do this. This is, looks like so much fun. (laughs) Um, And so that's where, that's where that started. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's so much there. I want to talk about a couple of things that you just said. We're going to get into the idea of um, abuse and, and everything that you mentioned here in just a little bit, when we talk about your nonprofit and your podcast, But you said so many powerful things. Um, And I think the number one thing that I want to point out first is that the person that you were in a relate, well, first of all, actually that's second. First is that you didn't want to call it an abusive relationship, but that's what it was. And I feel like there's so many people that are in that situation where for whatever reason, they just don't want to label something as an abusive relationship. There's definitely level levels of abusive relationships that I think need to be acknowledged. But somebody that's minorly abused is still in an abusive relationship and somebody that's psychologically abused is still in an abusive relationship and I love that you brought that out because there's so many people that don't want to label it and if you don't label it you can't fix it exactly exactly and that's you know that's where I've had to like realize that yeah I had that's what I have to call it even though I don't think of him as a bad person anymore right there could if this had happened to me at this day and age I probably would be more willing to call it an abusive relationship because at this age, you should know better. Yeah. But I feel as a horrible person telling, you know, like a 15 year old that doesn't know anything about relationships is an abusive person. And especially knowing who he is now, like he, and knowing that he's not, it's, it's really hard for me to call it that, but that's what it was. And And you're right. It's very important because when you do have those 15, 16 year olds that are in these serious relationships, no matter how many times their parents want to tell them, you can't be in love. You're too young for love. Like it doesn't, that's what I they do what feel, I want. Right. Right. <laughs> that's what they're feeling. They're feeling these intense emotions that they've never dealt with before. And you know, that's exactly what they have to deal with and figure out. And if we're not 
willing to teach them that these actions are not okay, that's where you develop abusive relationships later on in life as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then I want to hit on the other thing that you said too, which is that he's a good person because, um, there's so many times, and I deal with this in my criminal defense practice all the time. Like I represent really good people that make really bad choices. I feel like there are so many people that stay in a relationship that's abusive because the other person is otherwise a good person. And maybe they are, maybe they're amazing. That doesn't give you the right or give them the right to treat you the way that they're treating you. And so the fact that you can acknowledge that he's a great person and he was also, you know, maybe borderline, well, not even borderline, he was, he was abusive back then, um, is so important. And it's important for people to acknowledge now that you don't have to call somebody a bad person to say I'm in an abusive relationship. They're doing the best that they can with the tools that they have and the information that they have. But it's not your responsibility to carry them and take that abuse if they're not willing to get help. Exactly. And I think it's key to, to note that I have to take responsibility myself, right? I was also young and dumb and stupid. And I probably did and said things that were, that are labeled as abusive because again, we're not taught how to be in a respectful relationship at 15 because we're told that we shouldn't even be in relationships because we're too young to do it. But it's like, that's like telling kids not to have sex and then not, and then teaching them the only way to have safe sex is abstinence and then wondering why your teen pregnancies and STDs are skyrocketing because it's like, they're going to do it anyways. So you should just teach them the right way to do it. Right. We're going to be in relationships anyways at those ages. So you should teach them the right ways to do it. That's a really, really interesting point. And honestly, I had never thought about that, about the fact that so many young people don't know how to act in a relationship and that we kind of avoid that topic until it's too late. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is the problem. And that's why, you know, there are a few nonprofits down here in Georgia that all they do is focus on teen dating and teen dating violence and and things like that. And it's not just one-sided, it's not male, female, it's the entire population of teenagers because it's on both sides. Because at that point in time, neither one of us knows how to act right. <laughs> right. And I mean, and, and some of us never learn. I mean, we were just talking before we came on about this shit that's going on in the world right now. And while this will get released a little bit later, I certainly hope that you're not dealing with the same stuff that we are today. Um, but like these protests and, you know, all this shit is just proof that people sometimes never actually grow up and take responsibility for their actions. So you went on this police ride along and did you join the force? Like how old were you at the, were you old enough to join the force at the ride along or did you join later? I was 17 or 18. I I can't remember exactly. I had to, well, no, I had to have been 17 because it was in October and I left the state when I was 18. So yeah, had to have been 18. So when did you decide to join the force? So I decided that I wanted to be a police officer. I applied, I, you know, did a ton of research, found the top criminal justice schools in the nation, um, which is how I ended up in Georgia and applied to those. I applied to 10 different colleges, got into all of them, did a bunch of tours and landed on the University of North Georgia, which when I went to it was North Georgia State College, North Georgia college and state university and they're top 10 in the nation for criminal justice. And, you know, that's what I went to school with. Looking back on it, I wish I would have done something a little bit more (laughs) tangible (laughs) because I can't really do anything with a CJ degree now. (laughs) And, you know, I wish that I would have had that advice of like, you may not always be a cop. You know, there could be, you could be injured. You could do something that screws up your career and you have to move on and then you got to start over or you could just fall out of passion with what you want to do. And now I'm like going back to school and trying to figure other things out. So, (laughs) you know, I I wish I would have had different advice at that point, but I'm glad I did what I did because I probably would not have ended up in Georgia and had all of this happen if I hadn't done all that. Yeah. I mean, that's such an, like, I feel like so many times, so many people feel like the first like half of their life could have been like a practice life and then they could go back and take all of the things that they now know and go live it differently. And I say this with all the love in the world, but most people who have art degrees are completely relating to you right now. I know I felt like that with my political science degree. Like if I'm not going to go to law school, what the hell am I going to do with a political science degree? There's a commencement speech um, by Charlie Day where he talks about how you're 
degree is worthless. No matter what you got, it's worthless. And he goes through all of these things. It's hilarious. He goes through all these things that you can't do with it. He's like, you can't eat it. You can't. And he goes through, he's like, you could probably smoke it, but I wouldn't recommend it. And like goes through all the reasons that it's worth nothing. And I just feel like that's kind of college in general. It's like what we learn about ourselves while we're there, the information that we take in, how we grow, that is priceless, but the actual degree and the piece of paper that you get is worth nothing. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Like um, I'm halfway on this bandwagon of college is, you know, worthless and shouldn't be even pushed. And I don't think it should be pushed on to kids. I think they should be able to make their own decision of what they want to do because you do end up with people that are in college for six, seven years because they decided to change their major halfway through because they didn't actually know what they wanted to do. And they took all these random classes for it. But at the same time, it's, sometimes it's needed, right? We can't all go to trade school. We can't all learn these attainable skills. Some of us have to go to law school. Some of us have to go to medical school. Some of us have to go to business school or we won't have an economy. We won't have this, you know, array of different jobs. We can't all be plumbers or electricians, you know, it just doesn't work (laughs) like that. So I, I agree that it doesn't be, it shouldn't be pushed onto students and they should be able to make their own choices and they should know all the choices that are out there which we don't do, right? It's college or nothing. We don't tell them that, yeah, you can make, you know, a damn good living being an electrician. Yeah. But we can't say that college is is not the road also because it could be the road for somebody. Yeah. And, you know, we get into that conversation all the time because it, that just seems to be the way it's pushed. And if you don't want to go to college, then there's something wrong with you. So, right. So you get your degree and then you work as a police officer in Georgia. Yes. Yeah. And so, how long were you on the force? I was on the force for a little over four years. Okay. Probably about four and a half. Okay. And like, what made you decide that you no longer wanted to serve as a police officer? So my first two years, I was, you know, a road officer and beat cop, did, took the night shift and all of that. And then about halfway through, I became the public information officer and was in the community relations officer. So I was in the community. I was out the face of the department, basically doing all these different cool things and building that relationship. As you said, like we're in these times where we have some of the worst police community relations of our time. And, but I am proud to say that I work for a police department where we had some of the best in the nation, but, you know, police community relations and our community stands behind us a hundred percent and they know who we are, what we stand for and who our officers are and how they act and how they should act. And they're not afraid to step up and say, Hey, this is not right. This person treated me wrongly. And my department was not afraid to say, yep, you're right. They did and take corrective action. So I'm really proud of that aspect of it but that is only outwardly. There's a lot of things that need to change inwardly with police departments and, uh, you know, across the nation. There is this systematic good old boy, you know, have to, you can't change anything because that's the way it's always done. And it's interesting. It's like, okay, so you can change the way we act towards the public and with the way we are perceived by the public and how we treat the public and all of these different things, but you don't want to change the way you treat your officers internally. And so that was really disheartening, you know, to, to, to come to realize. And that is one of the main reasons I left. I loved what I did. I loved the people I worked with. It was a joy to go to work on the individual day, but overall it was like just draining to go to work every day just because of the way that, you know, and it's not just one police department, it is the police system in general. You know, and you brought up a really, really interesting point. First of all, it's really good that you worked for a police department that's willing to take those outward steps, but you can't change something outward if you can't change it inward. And so like the actions of those rogue police officers that are going to make these bad choices, because we were talking, like we were talking before we came on, it's not everybody. Um, So these individuals, like what drives people to do that is this like, frustration of the way that you're treated. Like you take that frustration out into the force with you, out into everything that you do. And, you know, this is the same for any business that's out there. You know, your, the way that you treat your employees impacts the way that they represent you when they go out public facing, because whether they intend to or not, they take that frustration 
Or if we flip the coin, they take that complete admiration and belief in you out into that public facing and it affects the way that they do everything. So I think it's really interesting that they really wanted to change, but they weren't willing to change the part that could actually make a huge difference. Exactly. And I I saw this post the other day that it was like, you know, we have military people that are in war zones that can detain somebody without killing them. And, you know, they're overworked and tired and hungry and, you know, are, are doing all of these different things and they're in these war zones and all this stuff and they can still, you know, do what they need to do without something happening. Well, it's, yeah, but the entire country and their entire command system respects them and, and gives them the, you know, the dignity that they deserve as a soldier. Whereas with police officers, you're like, like you said, when you don't treat them right, they're going to take that frustration out on the next person they see because we're human, right? Humans do not know how to process that information, whether you're a police officer or not. And yes, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard, but at the end of the day, you're still human. And if you can't get that, if you can't process the way that you're being treated by somebody that should be helping you get through this life or should be respecting you or should be making it so that you can uphold the laws that you swore to protect, then it's going to happen, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that the individual police officer is bad or that, you know, a department is bad. It's a system that needs to be changed. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And, you know, there's so much that goes on too. I feel like we are kind of in this really weird time where we have access to just enough information to get ourselves in trouble. So um, there's social media out there that's reporting so many different things and people don't necessarily fact check that before they share it. And sometimes it's unintentionally wrong. Sometimes it's um, just a mistake that kind of made it through the editing process. And other times it's somebody trying to go viral and they don't care how they do it. And they're just going to, you know, share information. But then the, the other side of that is that no matter how much access we have to social media, we will never know everything because there's internal stuff that goes on within a government, within a police department that for safety, security, whatever other reasons can't be shared. And so we're making these opinions and judgments based on lack of complete information. And that impacts the way that we then respond. And, you know, there are people out there that say, give me all the information and let me decide. But the way that we're reacting right now to this George Floyd situation, I don't think we're ready for that. No, the government said the other day that aliens are real and UFOs are real. And I feel like that's what started all of this. We didn't know how to react to that. <laughs> you know, like, but it's, it's just these things where it's like, if you like the, and this is, this might sound bad, but the individual person is smart, right? The mass yeah. is stupid. Yeah. That and mob mentality is awful. It's horrible. And, and so you, you release information to a mass population. We could have an intelligent conversation about that information, but as a collective whole, we would go apeshit. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And, you know, I, I mentioned that because I don't know that there is a right answer other than for people to like take off the crazy hat that has been on from both sides. And I'm not trying to make this a political conversation in any way, shape or form, because I don't care who you are. You've, you've got to take a second, chill, get some perspective on whatever you think your opinions are. Like we should always be challenging our opinions. And I feel like sometimes we just dig our feet in so much that we refuse to actually consider that somebody that we've painted as the bad guy um, could actually maybe have a really good point. Yep. So, so you leave the police force that kind of went off on a tangent rabbit hole, but um, you leave the episodes (laughs) wouldn't be the first time. Um, (laughs) So you leave the, the police force and you decide to do what? So I actually decided to do this before I left the police department, but it was really hard to do while there just because of, you know, when, when you're a police officer, that's all you do, right? And it's, you're not allowed to do anything else. So it was very hard to do this while a police officer, but we started a business in 2017 and it was a security consulting business. And 
it was a, a, it's basically an audit company where we come in and we audit your entire security systems, the way that people, you know, come in and out of your building, how you track threats and your standard operating procedures and policies and, you know, everything to do with security, which is what I did at the police department being the community relations officer, right? I'd go into people's homes and tell them exactly, you know, what their vulnerabilities were. And so it was a perfect segue into that. And so then from there, we decided we really needed a, um, a purpose piece of our business. Uh, we went to Thrive in 2018 and, you know, that was like their huge thing was like, you have to have a purpose driven business. And so that's where, you know, we sat down, like, what are we passionate about? What do we know a lot about? What can we, you know, help with? And we came to conclusion of domestic violence. And we both, both Zach and I have experience in domestic violence and not only from the police side, but in our personal lives as well. And so we thought it was the perfect segue into that purpose. Well, then after talking on that for a while, we decided that it would be better as a nonprofit versus a purpose a for-purpose profit business. And so Surviving to Thriving was born in October of 2018. I love it. And shout out to Thrive because that's where my, I mean, Cole Hatter that puts that on has a way of just digging into whoever, like whatever part of you you're trying to hide from the greatness of the world and like pulling that out. Because I went to Thrive just after, or just before I started my podcast and I had plans to start the podcast, but it hadn't launched yet. And I met all these amazing people and I was like, woohoo, I can change the world. And then I was like, shit, this is a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) But no, he's amazing. So the fact that you had a similar experience in 2018, I'm really sad that we didn't get a Thrive 2020 because apparently, you know, 2020 is just the year of shit, but. I know, um, Zach and I actually got married at Thrive. Did you really? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, good for you. A Vegas marriage that works. So, oh um, yeah. Drive through and everything. It was awesome. I love it. So um, you come to Thrive. You start this um, Surviving to Thriving. And let me just tell you, I love the name. I know we've talked about this a ton, but I love the name of your nonprofit. And let me tell you why. Because so many times, whether you're in an abusive relationship or not, um, we get into this survival mode where we're just trying to make it through life. And I feel like in an abusive relationship, that's even more important because you literally wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to make it through the day? And um, so whether you're in this job that um, you don't want to be in, whether you're not happy with your life, whatever it is, like so many times we're like, I was just surviving. I wasn't actually living. And the fact that you make it your mission to take people from that place where they're just surviving to a place where they actually feel, understand what it feels like to live a life that you're proud of is amazing to me. Thank you. It's what Zach and I did in ourselves, you know, luckily have Zach and he has people around him that really pushed him to do that same thing. But we were both just surviving as police officers, right? It was fun, right? We both wanted to do that with Zach. His biological father is, it was abusive to his mother. And that's kind of where his whole thing started, where he always stood up to the bullies. He always, you know, defended everybody. And that's where his journey as a cop started. And so it's like, you have this passion behind it, but, you know, being a cop is draining. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, at some point it just becomes like, it just becomes unfulfilling because of how draining it is on the back end. So um, that, you know, that's what we had to do. We had to decide for ourselves that, okay, this is not thriving. This is not living. This is surviving. So. Yeah. I love that. So tell me about your nonprofit. What services do you offer? How do you interact um, with kind of the people in Georgia and how can people find you if they're in that area for the nonprofit purposes? Yeah. So we have lifestyle learning courses and it is anything from finances to a professional social media presence to resumes, job searching, interview skills, you know, different things that just help you on that beginning part of that journey. And then we also have uh, women's self-defense. So I'm a nationally certified self-defense instructor and the program that I'm training. So in other words, you're a badass is what you're just not saying. Okay, (laughs) continue. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So our, um, our program is based in trauma. 
So you could go and take a BJJ class, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, Muay Thai class, or anything like that, and you could learn some really amazing skills, right? That police officers learn Muay Thai because that's like ground fighting, right? That's well, they don't learn it anymore because we don't use our hands to fight anymore. But anyways, that's besides the point. <laughs> Maybe we should, um, right? That's another yes, conversation. I 100%, 100% believe that we need to go back to learning how to use our hands to fight. Um, but, you know, that, so you would, you would learn some great, great tactics there. And, you know, they're all about the technical part of things and not just brute strength and, and they're amazing programs. But if somebody who has been a victim of domestic violence or a uh, victim of rape or sexual assault, if somebody laid their hands on them on the wrong part of their body or just touched their shoulders or something, they could immediately be re-triggered and have a flashback, which causes them to freeze in the moment. And that puts them in danger of if they were in that situation for real and not just in a classroom. Right. So our program is teaching them to work through that trigger and how to push through it so that you don't become a victim again, so that you can continue to fight through that threat and not to say anything bad about other defense courses. They could be great at stopping right then and there and getting you to calm down and doing all of that, but you never learn how to fight through that. You never learn how to continue the fight to where you don't get hurt. Well, you will get hurt. Let me say that if you're defending yourself at some point, you're probably going to get hurt. Um, but you won't, you know, you could save your life. Um, right. I was so going to say you won't get dead. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's the whole point, right? Our whole thing is escape, right? If you can get out, get out, you know, don't sit there and try to detain the person or do anything like that. Um, and, and so that's that program and it's really really fun um you see these women come in and they're very just shy and timid and rightfully so and and then by the end of it's only a 12-hour course and over the span of four days so after the fourth day they are kicking ass and you know talking and laughing and sometimes i can barely control the class because they've become such great friends and so it's a really really fun experience and it does a lot of good at the same time um, and then our last thing is sustainable housing. Um, so it's a three to five year program where as, as we pull from the shelters. So after you've either made it three or 90 days at the shelter or the shelter has said like, okay, this person would be a good fit to move into sustainable housing. It's rent free, utility free, your groceries are paid for, all of these different things for about the first six months while you're just like, trying to regain everything that was taken from you, finding a job, saving up that money. And then slowly we teach you how to save enough money and budget accordingly to be able to have your own house, have your own apartment and, and not have to worry about where's my next meal coming from. Like you've learned all the steps to take so that you don't have to have that worry. No, that's so important because so many times people stay in a situation because they don't know what to do next. They've been convinced by the people around them that they can't survive without this person. And and not even from the physical side of things, but like you were just saying, from the mental side of things, like not knowing how you're going to feed yourself. Like there's so many people that are in these relationships that are so broken down and have such low self-esteem that they literally believe that staying in these relationships are better than getting out because they won't be able to support themselves. And knowing that there are resources out there that help them navigate through there because the the shelters are an amazing way to get out of that physical environment. And I'm not knocking shelters at all, but so many times they end up back in that home because of the mental aspect of it that doesn't get addressed. Exactly. And most shelters, you have a 90 day cap. So at the end of 90 days, you better have your shit figured out. And I don't know about you, but I can't figure out anything in 90 days, especially no. not my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I'm still working on it 37 years in. So, exactly. um, <laughs> so yeah. and that was like the big, and, and again, not knocking shelters because they're needed, right? That is that safe haven. If you escape in the middle of the night, where are you going to go? A shelter, right? They're needed. But at the same time, that's one aspect of it. That's only the first step. There needs to be resources after the fact for, for these women. I love it. And then to go along with that, you have created this platform for women who have been affected by domestic violence to gain strength by sharing their story through your podcast. Um, was that a different venture or did that go along with the nonprofit or how did that happen? So 
I'll back up a little bit. Um, as you know, Zach was deployed to Afghanistan two years ago. Time flies, holy crap. Um, <laughs> and he left in October of 2018, like almost a few days after we um, signed the paperwork to get this nonprofit started. And so he was gone until July of 2019. And during that time, the nonprofit took a back seat because I had to, you know, run his business. I was still a full-time police officer. I was doing all of, I was getting my master's dealing with the house. I bought and sold the house for us. Yeah, I was just doing all these different things. So the, the nonprofit took a back seat, which unfortunately, it was fortunate and, and, and unfortunate. The government shut down in the beginning of 2019. They lost our paperwork. So, you know, we didn't even get refiled and to get our 501c3 until July of 2019. And then Zach came home in August. And then we kind of took September off just to, you know, reconnect. We'd been gone for each other for almost a year. Then we really buckled down in October of that, of 2019. And it was kind of this, what is going to get us back on the map? Because in, from October to December, you know, we were pushing hard. We were telling everybody about who we are, what we're doing and all this stuff. And then it just kind of stopped. So how do we get ourselves back on the map? And that's where the podcast came from. And so on the podcast, we bring on experts where we've got, um, you know, financial experts. Um, we've had social media people. We've had um, lawyers and um, family law people and, and, and then, you know, NLP practitioners and um, all of these different things. And then we also have mindset coaches and do work on, you know, a lot of what NLP works on, but maybe a little bit different of, you know, how to just even get out of that situation and be prepared to get out of that situation it takes a huge mindset, a huge shift in, in everything. So just giving little baby steps to, to start that. And then the biggest piece of it is the survivors that come on and tell their stories, because I think it's extremely important for another woman to hear that, you know, I'll, I'll say one of the episodes that already aired, uh, you know, her Tiffany and mm -hmm. how, you know, like she was in an international oh. abuse relationship and she, you know, for years was dealing with this and now she's out of that and, and thriving, right? She's doing amazing things. She's getting back into teaching. She's doing all this stuff. So, you know, having that sort of inspirational story being heard by somebody who is still back in that relationship and wondering, is this going to be my life forever? How do I get out of this? Hearing that they can is so inspirational and so powerful and so needed. Yeah. And you, Tiffany is an amazing, amazing woman. And if you guys haven't already listened to Surviving to Thriving, you should definitely go check that out, including her episode. But one of the things about Tiffany's story that I think is really important to mention is that, you know, she got out of that relationship and then like many other people, that abuser kept finding ways to try to remain in her life. And this is where your support comes in so much because just because they're physically out of reach doesn't mean that they're emotionally, mentally, financially out of reach. And when somebody's in that abusive relationship, like they're just as insecure as the person that they've now created by abusing them and they won't let them go easily. And sometimes you need that support system all the time. You need that support system around you to remind you that you should resist those attempts. Sometimes they show up as I love you. I want you back. And other times they show up as violence, but they're all the same thing. Yes, exactly. And that's why, you know, our program is five years long because you may not be living in our housing anymore at that point, but you still should be taking classes. You should still be seeing counselors. You should still be doing all of these things because until you have relearned how to love yourself and how to, you know, start dating in a healthy way, you should still be in some type of program to help you and, and using resources to help you through that. And they're just not there. They're not available, right? They, they're expected. It's like, okay, good. We found you a counselor and you have a home. Good luck on your own. And nobody really stops to say like, okay, we all know how this works. We all know how this ends. So why are we not doing something to stop it? 
Yeah, especially with from the court and attorney side of things, you know, we have domestic violence classes for individuals who are arrested for domestic violence. And you bring up a really good point. Why are we not pushing people to get this type of relationship help from both sides? Because I mean, I tell my clients all the time when they when they don't necessarily think that they've done anything wrong as far and maybe they haven't, maybe they haven't done anything wrong criminally. If these classes are part of a, a plea bargain, I tell them like, you're going to learn some amazing things here about how to manage anger, about how to approach relationships and situations that might not be going your way. Like these are things that we all as humans should go through. And I feel like it's a disservice to put domestic violence on the label of those classes because then people shy away and they're like, I don't need this. It's less about preventing domestic violence as much as it is creating healthy relationships and then preventing domestic violence happens naturally. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing is victim, abuser, doesn't matter. If you were in that situation, you need something, right? Yeah. As, as an abuser, you need to figure out, okay, what is causing this? Why am I acting like this? And then as a victim, how do I have this never happen to me again? What are, you know, because a lot of times it's not knowing what boundaries are and not knowing how to set them in the beginning. And that is, you know, a huge part of what we teach is if you see these red flags and you don't want to be a part of that, you got to learn how to say no and buy, you yeah. know, like that was one of the hardest things for me to learn after getting out of my abusive relationship and after being sexually assaulted. Like, how do I say no to somebody without putting myself in actual danger? And yeah. that's, something that you have to learn to do right from the start. Yeah, 100%. And I also want to say, you mentioned this earlier, and I think it's really important to bring back up now that we talk about if you're the abuser, if you are the person that's being abused, but sometimes they're not easily discernible. Like sometimes, not that it's ever okay, but there's normally in an abusive relationship, there's normally stuff going both ways. You know, there are those like, true abusive relationships where one person, and that's normally the physical kind of thing, but on the emotional, the financial, all this other stuff, like you listen to these stories of how somebody reacts in a relationship and you're like, dude, is this real life? Like, how do you think that's okay? Like going through phones, wondering where you're at, where are you at? Why are you here? Like that's abuse as well. And that comes from both sides. And so I just want to point out that sometimes it's not clear that you're either one or the other, and there's underlying issues for both patterns. Yes, exactly. And that's why when I talk about my relationship, I don't ever call him the abuser. I've been in an abusive relationship, right? We both did things that would be labeled as abuse, not physically, right? We never once laid hands on each other. It was all mental, verbal, emotional, and it came from both sides because you have an ego, right? In a relationship, somebody says yep. something and you're not going to back down and you're going to say, oh, you want to say that to hurt me? Well, I'll say it right back. And that's abuse, right? Yeah. It's not acceptable to do just because they did it first, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's imagine not, that because that statement right there is pretty damn fitting for what's going on in the world right now. Right? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So I feel like I, I mean, always, every time we talk, I feel like I should allot three to five hours for our conversations, <laughs> whether we're recording or not. So I feel like I could talk to you forever. However, this is the More Than Corporate podcast where we talk about defining success. And I would love yes. to ask you... <laughs> What is your individual definition of success now in your life and how has that changed for you? So now success for me is just being happy, right? Just being okay with where I'm at in life. I would love to be a millionaire. I would love to be Keep able to sit my ties on a beach, right? <laughs> you know, I would love to be able to do all of that, but I don't view that as end all be all success, right? if this life that I have right now is where it is, and this is as far as we've come, as long as we continue to do the things that we're doing and helping, that's success to me, right? I'm doing something that I'm passionate about that I think is helping other people and that makes me feel good at the end of the day. It's not making me any money, right? It's a nonprofit. I am making zero money off of this, you know? It's definitely not about the money. And that is exactly how it's changed. When I was growing up, I always thought the, the definition of success was big house, family, and, you know, living in the suburbs. And that's just not reality. 
Yeah. And it actually sounds like a pretty awful life. I mean, who likes the suburbs? <laughs> I can't, I mean, I live in the suburbs now. But... No, I'm just kidding. So do I, but like, I mean, there's so many situations where like what I thought I wanted as a kid, what I thought I wanted, even as a, as a young adult, sometimes what I thought I wanted last year, I'm like, that would have been awful. Um, right. So my follow-up question. I still want my that, pool, which is what I yes, wanted last year. <laughs> yes. Especially here in Vegas where we're getting into like the 110 range, like I'm out. So so you mentioned happiness in your definition of success. And that kind of leads me to my next question because I feel like success, fulfillment, happiness, all of these ideas are thrown around interchangeably without really taking the time to break them down and define them individually. So fulfillment for you, does that come before success or after? I think it comes before. I can't be successful unless I am fulfilled in my mind. If I am not fulfilled in what I'm doing, I'm unsuccessful in what I want to be doing, which is to be fulfilled. I guess it kind of goes back and forth. That, um, but, but I honestly do think that in order to have success, you have to be fulfilled. You have to be happy. I think both of those come before success. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think that you can have this short-term successful achievement of certain tasks, but long-term overall success is never going to last if you're not fulfilled. Exactly. And, and that could change in a heartbeat, right? You could feel fulfilled and say, I am successful. And the next day you're like, this isn't actually what I want to do. I, yeah. you know, this is not fulfilling me anymore. And then you got to start all over to, to gain your success. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you just brought that up because so many people think that if they change gears, if they decide that something's not fulfilling them anymore, then they have to admit defeat or admit failure. And we've kind of created this, this world going back to our wonderful education system where you pick what you want to be when you're like 18 and it's like, you're committed to this. And so when you change, because who knows what they want to be at 18, um, you feel like you completely failed at that last attempt. And so this idea of constantly evaluating and knowing that it's okay to move and, and defining success constantly for yourself is something that is so important in my opinion. Yes, I can a hundred percent agree, testify to that. I had like anxiety through the roof when I was deciding to leave the police department. I cried my eyes out. I thought my parents were going to hate me, right? Because they are, they're so supportive. They're like blue lives and all this stuff. They wear the bands. They do all that. Like they did all these things because, you know, all this. So I was like, they're so proud of me. Like my dad, everywhere we went, you know, my daughter's a cop. (laughs) Like it was like the cool thing for him. Right. So I was like, I'm going to be such a disappointment. And like I, there were several, several tears shed when I left the police department or when I was deciding to do it because I thought that I was being a failure. And then it's like, I look back now and I'm like, if I had known what I would be doing now, <laughs> then I never would have been like, oh, I'm, I'm failing, right? No, I'm just taking the next step and doing what I want to do. So a hundred percent agree with I that situation. It. And, you know, and it's, it's the same thing, you know, all of my friends though now are 25, 26 years old, and they're all going through that same step where it's like, okay, what I wanted to do when I was 18 is not what I want to actually be doing right now. They wonder why, you know, mental health has skyrocketed and why anxiety and depression has skyrocketed in our generation because you forced us into things that we didn't want to do. And now we're like lost in the world and have no idea how to change it and how to be better. And, you know, like this idea of failure, right? this is where entrepreneurs are set apart from the rest of the world is they take their failures and they make them so much better. And they realize that failing is not failing. It's just the next step. Whereas, you know, most people see failure as the end all be all. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Well, before we end, I would love to throw in a quick random round, let everybody get to know you a little bit more. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. So other than what you're currently doing, what profession do you think it would be fun to attempt? I would love to be on Broadway and all that, like go back to my, my roots of where I started. I would love to be in the entertainment world. <laughs> Girl, next time you come to Vegas, we have a karaoke trip. I'm planning it now. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love um, me some karaoke. <laughs> yes, me too. We'll make it happen. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? I'd travel back to the dinosaurs to prove to everybody that they were real. <laughs> <laughs> Does seen... anybody doubt this? 
everybody. <laughs> I mean, I've shared so many people like, or that, or go back to 1969 and prove that the moon landing was real. Yeah, <laughs> One Jesus. Of the so you like, have all been of these on, different things. <laughs> you've been on this conspiracy theory um, conversation way too long. I have. So, I know. Um, they make me laugh. They're, yes, they're I pretty. love it. I love it. Do you prefer reading books or listening to books? That's changed. I used to love to sit down and read. Like that was a huge thing in my childhood. I was always, you know, those, those free pizzas that you got for reading books. That was me. <laughs> I had all the free pizza. But now with how busy I am, I still want to take in information and do that. So I've definitely turned more to audiobooks. But if, if my life ever slows back down, I would love to sit down and just read a good book. Yeah, with as motivational and and as much things that you and Zach have on your plate, I don't see slowing down in your future anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) If you, what book do you think you've recommended the most to people? Uh, The Five Second Rule. Ooh, yes. So good. I haven't had that one mentioned before. I forgot about it. I love that book. It changed my life. 100% changed my life. Love it. If you have a superpower, a skill, or a quality that's gotten you through life, what do you think the most important has been? So when you said superpower, I was like, invisibility. And then I was like, wait, that doesn't actually answer the question. (laughs) Now we have to think of something else. Now we have to think of something else. I don't know. Invisibility. Like I I could see that being a superpower that got you through life, but not something that gets you through now because you are putting yourself on a public platform, lady, with your podcast. And I love it. Thank you. Yes. Um, So to actually answer that, I would say confidence because I didn't have it when I, especially not before becoming a police officer. And I think it was a false confidence when I was a police officer, right? It was so that I didn't get beat up or killed. (laughs) So like you had to put on that front, but I also think that it helped me develop it, but definitely confidence because I think even especially as a woman, confidence comes off as bitchy and to be able to change that narrative has has been really powerful and helpful for me. I love it. Where can people find you if they want to track down your nonprofit, your podcast, if they want to connect with you because you're pretty much awesome, where can they find you? So all across social media, we are to thriving ATL, T-O thriving ATL. And that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think those are the main ones. Um, and then our website is thriving.org. And then if you want to connect directly with me, I am Heather Knight on LinkedIn. And then I don't think you can, my Facebook is super locked down. So there's no point in giving that out. You won't be able to find me. <laughs> That's the police officer in you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you awesome. can get on every other platform, you can connect with me. I love it. Well, lady, it was so amazing to connect with you again and catch up. And I just love watching what you and Zach are doing and all the amazing things that you have going on. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story with our audience. Of course, I always got time for you, Amber. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.